Welcome back, brethren. It is wonderful to be with you. Today, as we get into 2 Timothy chapter 2. Before we get into this second chapter of the 2 Timothy, I just want to spend a little time, friends, and just uh, uh, admonish and encourage uh, those of you who are held in responsibility of, of teaching the Word of God in a pastoral capacity, you know, that we would just not only stay steadfast, but we would count it a privilege to be counted among the few. And I say this regretfully, a declining number of few these days, in these last of the last days that we're in, of holding the Word of life, the Word of truth, teaching the Word of God. You know, this emergent church that is uh, just mushrooming across the land basically is teaching that we must get rid of the old past, the old Christianity, the old ways, and embrace the new Christianity, uh, the 21st century Christianity, if you will. Uh, it's been said by a few emergent teachers, and I'm not here to name names at this point, but that... Um, Unless we get on with the, uh, the with the new Christianity, unless we get on with the program, we will be left behind. And brethren, I just want to admonish you again that the Word of God is forever established in the heavens. Praise the Lord. That uh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, his words are eternal in the heavens. Uh, the entirety of His Word is truth. From Genesis to Revelation, has not changed and never will change. It is an eternal Word of God. Um, the devil will try to do all he can to discredit it, change it, malign it. But uh, the word of God stands true. And, and we are called, brethren, again, as soldiers, as we will, we will find out in this, uh, this chapter, and many other things, to stay strong, to be valiant, to fight. Uh, because our coming king is coming. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming very soon. Um, it's not in the scope of this study, of this type of, of, of talk this morning, but we will be uh, getting into it as we near the end of this epistle. But, you know, the times are ripe. Uh, all of the signs are converging together. Uh, not just one, not just two, but they're all converging together. And we're admonished to see these, uh, hear man's ears to ear, let him hear. And uh, the Lord is pleased with those who, no matter what, uh, will stick to his word and his word alone. So let's get into this uh, discussion this morning, shall we? And um, again, it's just wonderful to be able to sit back in a relaxed atmosphere um, to, you know, share thoughts and uh, and to minister and talk about the true word of God and what the pastor, um, as we've been saying over uh, the course of this this series of true pastoring is that we as pastors, um, we have a responsibility to shepherd not only people of God, but rightly divide the word of truth and to stay strong in the day of apostasy. And, and brethren, as we know, apostasy is here. It is growing uh, exponentially. It is it is covering this land, like I said, like a blanket. So, you know, it's it's amazing how Paul starts out the second chapter. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong. Be strong not only the fact that of the unmerited favor or, or of the, the grace of God that's been poured out, uh, lavished upon us, if you will, through the Lord Jesus Christ, but, 
You know, we have so many admonitions in the Word of God to uh, stand in this. How do we stand strong in the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Well, you know, in, in Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, we all know this verse, for by grace you have been saved. It's grace. It's the mercy that God has had upon us that opens the door of his grace to be flooded in and lavished upon us. It's by grace that we've been saved. Let me preface just this uh, discussion of this, this first and second verse. I'm so excited because grace, the Bible would say, in the life of the believer starts when we are born again. So we've been saved by grace. We're carried through this life by grace, which we'll see, and will end in the heavenlies with Christ by grace. It is all of grace. And the Bible is is so adamant about that. And today we see uh, this movement of so many different types coming in, this apostasy, wanting to, to cheapen grace, wanting to take it away. So we've been saved by grace in Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to what Paul says. And I love this verse in Colossians chapter 1, verse 6. Listen to this. He says, Which has come to you as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, talking about the gospel, the word of truth, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew or understood the grace of God in truth. That is uh, what produces the fruit in life, brethren, the fruit is that God's grace is unleashed, causes us to be born again by God's grace. We are walking in this life with the living Christ, living in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he is producing fruit. This grace, understood, produces fruit because Jesus said, by ourselves, we can do nothing. You know, and as I said before, how not only we're saved by grace, but grace is carrying us through. Listen to this wonderful passage in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident, being confident. Now, now over in our in our uh, study, Paul's telling Timothy, "I want you therefore to be strong in the grace." He's telling the Philippian church to be confident of this very thing. In Philippians one six, he said <clears throat> that he who has begun a good work in you, back in Ephesians chapter two verse eight, by grace been saved. These have begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He will carry us through this life bearing fruit, being witnesses of him, standing upon his word and his word alone. That is by grace that we're saved. It's by grace as we walk through this life bearing fruit that remains. Did not Jesus say that, that his desire is that we would bear fruit and our fruit would remain? And also we will see at the end of this epistle how at the end of Paul's life, he will be carried to heaven and safely to his home by the Lord himself. It is a wonderful understanding of the Bible. Man's complete ruin in sin and God's perfect remedy in Christ. So wonder he starts out, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace. Be strong in it. Don't let anybody steal the joy of knowing that it's by grace that God has us in his hand and he will bring us safely home to his heavenly kingdom. Isn't that beautiful? That gives confidence. Confidence to handle no matter in this life, but brethren, as we end 
this age, as we're getting into the last of the last days, which I believe we're here now, persecution, which is little talked about today. Persecution, I believe the Bible states, will come not only outwardly, but also from within this professing Christian church that has gone astray. We look at, uh, as we get into um, chapter 3, at our next study, we'll see that these perilous times will come. And look what look what happens, but we'll also see that that is happening within this professing Christian church here. So uh, I just think it's exciting to understand these things. Um, and God will bring us safely home to his heavenly kingdom. What a wonderful privilege we have in ensuring, encouraging, and committing not only our lives to this truth, but seeing it produced in other people's. Look at verse 2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Wow. You realize, you know, you look at the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said something amazing. He said, repent and believe in the gospel. This gospel is good news that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Uh, that he was crucified, he was buried in the third day, he rose again in the body, he was crucified. And this wonderful gospel is was committed to the apostles, which committed to their disciples, which committed to here, committed, 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 all the way down through the ages, committed. And faithful men, brethren, have carried it on and taught other men that they might carry on. There is no greater, let me tell you, I've experienced this, there's no other greater joy for a pastor is to see the fruit that is born out of a ministry that he has labored in. And then for whatever reason, if that ministry, uh, his ministry continues another uh, way or, or, or something else, that he's seen the fruit of committed men that have sat under him rise up and teach others these wonderful truths. So we're to be strong. We're to commit to those. Find those around you, brethren. Ask God to bring those within your sphere that you may teach, not only by word but by example, and that they will be able to carry on when, when God either calls you home or calls you to another place or what have you. It is just a wonderful part of grace. We can't do it. It's the energy of God and it's the truth and the wonderment of God and other people's lives that allow this ministry of his word to carry on. Think about that. You have been committed to your trust. As Paul would say, remember back in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11, that this gospel has been committed to his trust. It's been committed to our trust. Let's guard it and, and, and use it to the glory of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, here's where we get into, into the meat of our discussion today. Verse 3 says, You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. A good soldier of Jesus Christ. I love that because he says, in verse 4, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. You know, 
that takes nominal Christianity out of the window. You know, I think as we look uh, in this day and age and, and we look at the apostasy of the church, there seems to be a growing apathy towards the application of the word. There seems to be a growing apathy of the fact that men and women do not want to even entertain the thought that they might have to suffer hardship. But remember, brethren, this is the world that crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. It has not gotten better. It has gotten worse. It has gotten violent. Uh, And, you know, I think what's amazing thing, John in his first epistle says this. He says, he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. And Jesus said, I do all things that please the Father. You know, biblical Christianity is normal Christianity. What we see out in the world today under the, under the guise of Christianity, brethren, is not biblical Christianity. Paul says that if he would stop talking about sin, if he would stop talking about the need of redemption, then he, he could escape the persecution of the cross. But because uh, the cross is offensive to people, and because people are sinners that need to be saved, we will suffer the persecution of those. So we are a soldier in the Lord's army, so to speak, sent out with a purpose, and that's to win souls for Jesus Christ. That's to stand on the truth and the truth of the Word of God alone. And we will suffer persecution. But what's interesting about this, brethren, and sad again to say, is that a lot of this persecution, Peter talks about this in Second Peter when he talks about in the last days there will come mockers scoffing after their own lust. But we're to engage in this warfare with the purpose of pleasing him who enlisted us as a soldier, verse 4. He goes on to explain. Look at verse 5 and 6. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say. And the Lord will give you understanding in all these things. Wow. We are serious. The Lord is going to give us understanding. Isn't it a wonderful thing that we can open up the Word of God and be filled with the Spirit and start understanding the things that God is explaining to us? He says again in verse 7, Consider what I say, and the Lord will give you understanding in all these things. Remember that Jesus Christ, verse 8, of the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel which I suffered troubles and evildoer, even to the point, verse 8, verse 9, of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that I may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Wow. The elect. We'll talk about that in a little bit. You know, it's, it's an amazing thing today, brethren, to see Fruit that is being born of the Spirit. Fruit that is being born out of a man's ministry. Um, I've heard many, many stories of times past where where men have have died being faithful pastors um, and agonizing over the fact they have not seen much fruit out of their ministry. And yet years and years later, the fruit is born and it is evident. 
You know, God never promises that we'll see all the fruit right away. But he does promise that not only his word will never return void, but that if we abide in him and his word abides in us, we will bear fruit. Not deviating from the word of God just because this popular Christianity uh, scoffs at it. But we are to hold a worldview. I was listening to a gentleman the other day talking about a worldview. And, and another, uh, another man asked him, what exactly is a worldview? And he says, well, do you believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin? Yes. Do you believe he lived a sinless life? Yes. Do you believe that Christ is God, come to earth in human flesh? Yes. Do you believe he died personally for your sins? Yes. Do you believe that he was in the grave three days and three nights? Yes. Well, do you believe that he rose bodily in the body he was crucified in the third day after he was crucified? Yes. And do you believe that he is in heaven in the presence of God for us? Yes. Here's the thing. Do you believe that he is the risen Lord and he has all things in the palm of his hands and he is controlling the affairs of men? Yes. Then, my friend, you have a biblical world view. It is a faithful saying. He'll say, in verse 11, Let's read that verse together. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. But if we deny him, he will also deny us. Look at verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. No matter what men out there say, they cannot deny the true word of God. They might twist it. They might malign it. They might want to say that we need to throw out these 2,000-year-old documents and adhere to the new Christianity, the new spirituality. But nonetheless, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is who he is, and mortal men cannot change that. Praise the Lord. My God is steadfast. My God is truthful. My God will never leave me or forsake me. And he is the one that is going to bring me home. He is the one that guarantees my salvation. I love that. So let's let's go back real quick to verse 10 for a moment. I just want to, to talk about this and discuss this. And you, you see you see what 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 you think about just talking about the elect. Look at verse 10 again. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The elect. You know, I I, uh, I remember talking to an individual several years ago, quite a few years ago actually. We were down in Concord, California and uh, for a while. And his name was Keith. And, you know, Keith was, was a good guy. But Keith had gotten caught up in Calvinism. And I've shared this story many times throughout my ministry. He's caught up in Calvinism. And and Keith didn't, that's the only church he'd ever been to. And he'd been a fairly new Christian for a few years. And we got talking throughout the week. And, and uh, finally, he, the last day that we were there, he admitted to me, I don't know. If I'm one of the elect, 
I don't know because see, Calvinism states in, in a nutshell, and I'm not my my idea here is not to get into this Calvinistic doctrine, which I think is very evil, but um, basically that God elects some to eternal life, and and others are just damned to hell. Uh, you either are the part of the elect or you're damned to hell. Well, he admitted to me with tears that he did not know if he was one of the elect. Wow. You know, we have a passage in 1 Thessalonians talking about this, and I'll just read it to you. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let me start at verse 3. It says, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God our Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of people were among you. And you became followers of us and the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with joy of the Holy Spirit. Did you just catch that? Knowing your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but in power and in much assurance. They heard the word of God, they believed the gospel, and he says, now... You, having received the word in much affliction. Schofield puts it this way. He says that, that we know that we're one of the elect or part of the elect by the mere fact that we believe. God wants to be believed. He sends out his gospel, his true word of God that doesn't change throughout the ages. And brethren, we are confident, sure, we are the one of the elect. God elects us whom he called because of the fact that we believe in his word. We take his word as truth. By the grace of God, we are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, brethren. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So back into our text in verse 10, Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect. He endures persecution. He endures ridicule. He endures beatings. He endures misunderstandings. He endures all things for the sake of the elect. Why? That they may obtain the salvation. And what does Paul say? The same writer, 2 Timothy here, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, This is the gospel. This is the gospel by which you stand on, and this is the gospel by which you are saved. And the gospel is simply this, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that three days later he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. And by believing this, we are saved. Wow. But brethren, that word is not going to change for any man. We see in verse 13, remember, if we deny him, he cannot deny himself. He is the truth. And the truth stands. The truth is eternal. And that eternalment of truth is the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, I get excited about these things. These things are, are wonderful to, to impart with confidence and, and gladness. Look at verse 14. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about with words no profit to the ruin of the hearers. You know, there there is no argument there is no understanding or counsel of men this proverbs say against the lord there is nothing the lord stands alone 
He is the creator. He is the life sustainer. He is the judge. He is the savior of those that love him. And he is coming back to judge in truth. So he says, remind them of these things, verse 14. Don't strive about with words that are no profit. Um, You're going to ruin the hearers. Verse 15 says, but be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The King James says to be, you know, study to present yourselves approved. You know, precious truth comes from hard toil and seeking. Because the one who toils hard and, and, and seeks and plows, the Lord is, will reward him with a rich fellowship of the understanding of his word. Think about that. God loves those who love him. The Proverbs is full of the fact of people that, that seek him early will find him. People that are waiting at his doors and so forth. Let's be a diligent to present ourselves, brethren. Let's, let's make it our point to offer ourselves for those benefit, the benefit of those that are, that God has placed before us, our ministry. Are you taking it seriously? Are you taking your ministry seriously? Sometimes it takes uh, an act that God might yank somebody from the ministry for a while that he might realize, do I really take this seriously? Because we must take it seriously because the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. He's coming back soon. I want to take this time, brethren, and I hope you're enjoying our discussion, is, is I want to go back and just read a few things to you. You know, when we uh, when we look at at the uh, the seven churches in Revelation, and we see that the uh, the God Jesus says He sends the the seven angels to the seven churches, and we talked about this before briefly. I think personally that the seven angels are are either are pastors or, or overseers or what have you. But we also see a, a an interesting thing that we we know that the seven Golden lampstands are the seven churches. Listen to this real closely. He writes in, in Revelation chapter 2, he says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I've always taken that in my ministry to heart, brethren, that the, the Lord Jesus Christ himself is walking through the midst of our churches, seeing how and beholding uh, the churches. What is he seeing as he's walking through your ministry? What is he seeing as he's beholding your congregation as you and the pastor? Um, he's walking through the midst. He's beholding. Um, very serious. And these men that malign the word of God, that, that are supposedly going into this new spirituality. So they have no fear of God. My mentor, Dave Hunt, said years ago, you know, the problem today is that there is no fear of God behind the pulpit. Pastors, ministers of the Word of God have lost that fear because if we had that fear, we would tremble at His Word. Isn't that what Isaiah said? To this one, I will look to the one that trembles 
at my word. Be diligent, verse 15, brethren. Study. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God. He says in verse 16, but shame, or excuse me, shun profane and idle babblings. They will increase to more ungodliness. Take an example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Gracious words dripped from his lips, and that was it. He knew he said nothing that was other than the truth. He didn't argue. He didn't speculate. He didn't philosophize. And we are not to do those things either, brethren. We are to, to plainly speak the word of God, plainly present truth. But he says again, verse 16, But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase in more ungodliness. Listen to this, verse 17, And their message will spread like cancer. Wow, Hominius and Philetus are of this sort. You know, many, let me say here, brethren, before we go on, many people say, well, you know, you can't name names and, and you shouldn't name names. Really? A wolf is a wolf by any stretch of the imagination. If I'm a boy and a shepherd and I see the wolf, am I going to say, hey, something frightening is coming? I'm not going to tell you what because I can't name names. No, I'm going to name a name. The wolf is coming. These people need to be stopped. They need to be exposed so that we might not be victim to their false teaching, their persuasive words. Sometimes they have so elegant a speech and their argument is so persuasive, but it is not according to the word of God. If you want to be a strong child of God, you must teach your congregation to test all things by the word of God. And how do we do that? By being diligent ourselves by rightly dividing the word of God ourselves, by spending our fellowship premium with the Lord Jesus Christ ourself. And yes, if there are those that are causing problems, yes, point them out. Because if you don't, their message is going to spread like canker, cancer and it's contagious. Just as a cold, you can go into a room of healthy people and yet you can have one individual go in that room with a cold virus and spread that cold to individuals. We must stop the virus because the word says it spreads like cancer, and cancer is deadly. Look how he describes these people, Hominius and Philetus. Look at verse 18, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already passed, and somehow... Or, excuse me, and they overthrow the faith of some. But nevertheless, verse 19, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. God knows who you are. He knows those that are his. You know, seal, that's an interesting word. Verse 19, having this seal. You know, a seal in, 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 uh, in the Old Testament, well, David sealed uh, the message that Uriah was to bring to Boaz, and Uriah knew that, that nobody can open up that seal, but for who it was intended. It was under death. A seal is is a signet, if you will, of authority. We see it in uh, in the book of Esther. We see it again how David sealed. We see, and more importantly, I think, for us to understand uh, twice, for as a matter of fact, in Ephesians one and Ephesians chapter four, God talks about seal. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit under the day of redemption. You know, so 
God knows those that are his, and God has sealed us. And he wants us, everyone who calls upon him, to depart from iniquity, to depart from a life. And I believe not only, brethren, that's acts of iniquity, sinful acts, but it's also wrong, blasphemous, and sinning when we depart from the pure word of God and the doctrine of Christ. And we, we go after the tradition of men and we believe these uh, men, many of them that have crept in the Christian church today, please, if nothing else, may I take this opportunity here to sound an urgent, urgent warning to those out there. There are many that proclaim to be a representative of Christ, and yet they are leading people astray. They are leaving behind. They are no longer talking about the efficiency, the all-efficiency of the cross as the only way. They are now saying there are many ways to heaven. They are now saying there is truth. They are now saying there are new revelations. There are new things that, that supersede now these old documents they call the Bible. And now we need to go into the 21st century and have new revelations. I could go on. They are denying the Lord that bought them, and they are leading multitude astray. No wonder these mega church leaders do not encourage those to bring their Bible to church. They don't encourage anymore to not take my word for it, but to search the scriptures and see for yourself. But, brethren, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Look at explains that. Look in verse 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood, clay, and some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Paul explains in Ephesians chapter 4 what the ministry of a pastor should be, the equipping of the saints, the maturing of the body of Christ. So why? So we wouldn't be swayed with every form of doctrine. Look at verse 22. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. What are we seeing today? We're seeing homosexuals being ordained in, into the, the ministry. We're seeing same-sex marriages being accepted within the church. We're seeing all kinds of, of, of lusts and manner of, of greed sinking into the church. We're seeing megachurches and their pastors having private jets and, and multiple mistresses and, and homes in the millions of dollars and flaunting their money while they don't care about the sheep out there that are hurting for lack of true food and nourishment that are going to hell. We see these things. He's saying, teach these, verse 22, to flee from these useful lusts. When we get into chapter 3, brethren, on the next time together, we're going to see that men are lovers of themselves. They're lovers of money. They're boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unreconcilable, unforgiving, slanderous, brutal. They love pleasure rather than God. This world will offer temporary pleasures. God offers everlasting joy in life. You know, Jesus said it best when 
He said in the last great day of the feast in John chapter 7, if anybody is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Oh, the flesh is thirsty. Oh, yeah, you can be fed with all kinds of lusts and greeds and and pleasures and everything else. But Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, the, the true man, let him come to me and drink. From out of inmost being will flow, gush, rivers, torrents of living water. That joy, the inner gladness that only Christ and Christ alone can give. Wow. So flee these things, verse 22. Are we teaching that today? That's being a lost commodity. We're we're taught, you can have your best life now. God wants you to be happy and and, and to do the things that you want to do, to to get the things that you want to get, just to be happy. God wants happy Christians. God wants Christians that, that, that can live their own life, that they can have their best life now, my friends. We are not called to have a happy, carefree life down here. We are called to sow. We are called to sow in tears. And we will reap with joy. When we sow the word of God, which is life indeed, we will receive not only the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him, but we will receive joy in this life and hundredfold in the next. That inner gladness that gushes forth That is precious. So in verse 22, we're to pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord of the pure heart. Not only peace with God when we come to Christ, the war is over, but the peace of God, which which Paul says in Philippians, passes understanding. Wow. Look at verse 23, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. I could go on for hours uh, giving examples of foolishness and debates that I have seen and seen it destroy people. 24 says, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel because any fool can quarrel. You know, any fool can start a quarrel, quarrel, but to be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance, that they may know the truth. Wow. I'll finish with verse 26. That they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. You know, when a servant comes in humility and is used of the Lord, He's not going to be quarrelsome, and he's not going to beat it over the head with the word of God. He's going to be apt to teach. Yes, he's going to be as bold as a lion. The right, the, the bride of the Hebrews, or excuse me, the Proverbs said the righteous are as bold as lion, but they're gentle, they're humble, because they have the desire that the truth of God might be presented and that might fall on fertile ground, that there might be growth and fruit that might come. And that God might and will perhaps grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses. Here's the key. They may escape. Look at the snare that the devil puts on them. Let's talk about that snare for a while. The snare of unbelief, the snare of of mocking and, and sneering. 
the snare of, of, of blatant unbelief that although you knew God or knew about God, you did not glorify him as God and your foolish heart was darkened, Paul says in Romans. The snare of the devil held all their life. He wants to keep your hearers down and oppressed. Nothing is going to free them, my friend, other than the pure word of God spoken in the power of the Holy Spirit, demonstrated of a life of love and service, of a life that is a committed soldier to Jesus Christ. Being strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, being confident that I know it is not me that is going to bear fruit, but it is the vine that I am connected to. It is the sap of the Holy Spirit that is running through my veins that is going to bear the fruit. I am strong and confident in that, and I praise God that I am being used at whatever capacity he wants me to be used. If he has called you into the pastorate, if you have a pastorate and people under you that God has graciously put there, don't be entangled in the affairs of this life, brethren, but put them above you and be diligent and study and show yourself approved to God for their sake, for their understanding. Give them the pure word of God. Give them the word that is forever settled in the heavens. Don't let the tide of this world that is cloaked in the name of Christianity have one ounce of influence in your life in ministry. Not one ounce of influence, but you go and you be strong. I love our times together, brethren. I love the fact that we can be honest with each other and we can talk about these things. God bless you today as we contemplate this, and I will see you soon as we get into the third chapter of this last epistle of Timothy. God bless you, my friend.